you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 15. We're going to look at the first few verses and then jump down to verses 11 to 32. So this is Luke 15, verses 11 to 32. Friends, listen. This is the word of Christ. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Isn't that a great statement, by the way? How much hope do you receive from that? This is the Savior that we are here to listen to. This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he, Jesus, told them this parable. Verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of Christ. 
Well, we're starting a new series today. It's a series called, What Does It Mean to Follow Jesus? And we're doing this for several reasons. We're starting the series for, for several reasons. First, we have a number of new Christians in our midst. Folks who are just beginning to follow Jesus. And so this series is going to help new Christians to know how to grow in their relationship with Jesus. Right? How you can grow spiritually. It's also going to remind older Christians about how we experience Jesus in our daily lives. Like how to turn our relationship with Jesus into a daily experience. And then it's also going to teach all of you how you can help someone else grow spiritually. Okay? So teaching young Christians how to follow Jesus and then teaching older Christians how to help other people to follow Jesus. Because part of following Jesus is helping other people to follow Jesus. Right? We call that making disciples. Helping people follow Jesus. And so this series is going to help all of us to know how to do that. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, um, then this series is going to help you know what it would look like to follow Jesus. Okay, what does it mean to be a Christian? What, what, what does a life that follows Jesus look like? You're going to be able to find that out to decide for yourself whether or not you want to follow Jesus. And so in answering the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? My thought was, it's always good to start at the beginning. Right? Start at the beginning. In order to follow Jesus, the first thing you need to know is his message. Right? Why did Jesus come? What did Jesus say? What was his message here on earth? You know, Jesus is not all about following rules. Okay? He's not about judging other people. That's not what Jesus is about. So what is he about? And as I thought about that, <clears throat> the Bible says over and over and over again that the message of Jesus is good news. Okay? Good news. Like you pick up the newspaper and you read the headlines and usually it's bad news, but sometimes it's good, right? The idea of getting to know Jesus is that it's good news. Okay? It is good news. That's what the word gospel means. Okay? The church uses the term gospel all the time. It means good news. And so what is the good news? And as I thought about that, I thought, okay, what, is, what part of the Bible would best encapsulate the good news of Jesus? And I was drawn to this story. This story is called the parable of the prodigal son, right? And it's a story that a lot of people know. Most people know, even if they've never been in a church, they've heard about the prodigal son. This story wonderfully shows us the good news of Jesus and it does so in light of the two wrong ways that we typically respond to Jesus. Okay? And so it's often called, as I said, the prodigal son. But that's not what Jesus called this story. Okay? Jesus didn't call this story the parable of the prodigal son. Um, if you look at verse 11, Jesus tells you what his title of this story is. He starts the story by saying, there was a man with two sons. Okay, a man who had two sons. That's Jesus' title for this story. It's the man who had two sons. Because if you read this story and you only think about the younger son, the prodigal son, you're going to miss at least half of Jesus' message. Okay? And so the man had two sons, and as we're going to see, both were lost. Both of this man's sons were lost. And as we look at both of them, we're going to find ourselves in both of them. 
Okay, we're going to see our own lives in this story. And in response to both, we're going to see the good news of Jesus and that God is a God of grace. Grace, that's what we're going to see. So the points that we're going to focus on are in your bulletin. So if you want to take notes, you can write in there. Um, We're going to see these five things. We're going to see leaving. We're going to see response. We're going to see the Father. We're going to see unfinished. And then some thoughts at the end about following Jesus for you and for others. So let's first look at leaving. This story is about two sons who leave their father. Okay, And it's important to highlight the idea of leaving because you have to remember what they left. Okay, What it is that they've left. The younger brother sort of comes first. He had a family, right? He had a home, and he had an abundance, right? He lived on an estate, on a farm, <clears throat> um, with servants and a measure of wealth, okay? And he had a father who we see from the story who was caring and gracious, right? But the younger brother wanted to leave. In verse 12, it says, The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. So the younger brother is asking for his inheritance. And this would have been as inappropriate then as it would be today. Right? Can you imagine that? You know? Get a phone call or make a phone call to your mom or your dad and say, you know, can I cash out now? I mean, I'm going to get it sometime. Why not just now? How about now? In effect, what the younger brother is saying is, you know, I'd really like to begin living now as though you were dead. Or maybe you could think about it this way. You know, I don't really want you, Dad, but I want your stuff. Now, at this point, we don't know all that's going on in the younger brother's mind, right? We just don't know what, everything that he's thinking, but I think many of us do the same kind of thing with God. Uh, Many people have a sense of God in their lives, a sense that there's something out there, there's something more, or they even know that God is real, they know about Jesus, and they make a conscious decision to ignore him. People think, you know, I don't need God or Jesus, if in fact they exist, um, because I want to set the parameters for my own life. And some people do this because they want freedom, right? I don't want God or anyone else, for that matter, telling me what I can do or not do. Others do it because they sense that they, they simply don't fit in with their view of who God is. Right? They feel like they can't include God and in he doesn't fit in the life that they want to live or what he wants from them. Now the father's response to the younger brother is kind of startling. Right? In that culture, a son asking this would probably be beaten, kicked out, and disowned. Just flat out. Okay, you want to act as though I'm dead? Have it your way. I'll be dead to you, you know, and they're sent off, they're outcast. That's what would have normally happened, 
And yet that's not what this father does. Instead, verse 12, he divided his property between them. He says, okay. The father says, okay. The father, out of love for his son, does what his son asked. And he endures the pain of rejected love. Now, the older brother is a totally different story. You don't find out about it until later. You've got to look down at verse 29. Verse 29, well, he's not, I guess verse 28, he was angry, he refuses to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father. Look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command. You see the anger in the older brother. He says, I've never disobeyed you. These many years. In one sense, this might sound good on the surface until you zero in on the word serve in verse 29. He says there, these many years I have served you. If you have a pen, you ought to circle that word serve. You ought to circle that. It's key because that word serve is also translated the word slave. The older brother saying to his father, for all these years, man, I have been your slave. I've worked my tail off. I've never disobeyed you. I've been a slave to you. What we find out is that sometime long ago, in the older brother's mind, he stopped being a son. He stopped being a son. His relationship with his father turned into that of a slave. He had no real relationship. And it looks like he stuck around simply to wait it out and earn his inheritance. Which actually seems strikingly like what the younger brother did. And so even though the older brother stayed at home all these years, his heart left long ago. The older brother was just as lost as the younger. And again, I think this is a window into many of our lives and a lot of the ways that we, that we live. A lot of us um, actually use religion or morality to avoid God. Right? I don't need Jesus because I'm a good person. You know, I'm good. I'm okay. I don't need him. Or they say, you know, Jesus honors me because I honor him. Implying that few others do, you know. But the reality here is that God... God doesn't want slaves. God wants children. He wants sons and daughters. He wants a real relationship with us, with you. A relationship where you actually spend time with him. Because he's wonderful. Because he's loving. Because he's wise. Because he loves you. 
right? Well, you spend time with him. You talk with him. You learn about him. You learn how to serve, not out of duty, but out of love, right? You learn what it means to follow after him so that you can experience him every day of your life. Like, that's what God is after. God wants his children to know that he loves them even if they haven't never, if, if they haven't never disobeyed. Do you know what I mean? Like, the idea there that like, even when you can't say, I've never disobeyed you, God, you know, I mean, the older brother's probably a little bit got an overinflated view of himself in his performance, right? I never disobeyed, really? Um, God wants you to know that his love for you is not based on your performance. Right? That's not how a father loves his children. I think if there's one thing that hurts God more than one of his children leaving him and saying, God, I'd like to live my life as though you didn't exist. I think the one thing that hurts God more than that is one of his children staying with him and not having a relationship with him. It breaks God's heart because God is a father, not a slave master. That's not what God is after. That's not what God wants. He wants a relationship with us. And then this also ruins the message of Jesus to the rest of the world. Okay? Older brothers in the church. Right? When folks act like the older brother and they call themselves Christians, that's what makes people run from the church. People who are self-righteous, people who are angry, people who are not gracious because they don't know the Father. People who think that Jesus is all about if you do enough good stuff, then God will bless you. That's not good news. Right? That's not inviting. And so this man had two sons, both of whom left him. Our second point is response. Because it's, it's, our, it's your response to the circumstances of your life that show if you are like one or the other sons. Okay? When you think about how you respond when things go wrong in your life, that will help you know how and what part you might be playing if this story were the story of your life. Okay? And so your, your, your response to circumstances shows where you stand with God. Both of these sons' lives fell apart, and the way they responded helps us deal with our circumstances, okay? Nobody wants to suffer, okay? Nobody wants bad things to happen, but it can be a blessing when circumstances go wrong, okay? It can be a blessing in your life when it, if your life falls apart, okay? Um, when that happens, it's a reminder it's a reminder that there's something more to this life than simply our circumstances. Okay? It reminds us that we need God. That apart from Him, sometimes we're empty and have nothing. And we either need God or we need more of Him. And this is what bad circumstances can do for us. So we all know it's an easy part of the story to talk about the, the, the younger brother's life falling apart. Right? Verse 13 not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. 
this is the verse where the word prodigal comes from, right? Do you know what prodigal means? I actually didn't know. I thought it meant like wayward. Um, but this week as I studied this, prodigal means um, excessively spendy or recklessly extravagant. Okay? And so the prodigal living is this life of unbridled, reckless extravagance. Okay? So what we're talking about here are like $1,000 a night parties. Right? That's what, this, that's what the younger son did. He just he spent his money recklessly. And what we see here, it was indulgence to the point of bankruptcy. He literally spent himself out of house and home. His money was gone. His friends then deserted him. Right? He's alone. And then a famine hits. Right? Verse 14. When he had spent everything, a famine arose in the country. He began to be in need. So he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. This is really low. Um, especially for a Jewish boy or a Jewish man. Because uh, Jewish folks believe that pigs are religiously unclean animals. They're sort of at the bottom of the... T- they won't even touch them, let alone eat them. Right? And yet here you have the younger brother actually having to serve. He's below pigs. Because he's got to serve the pigs and feed them. This is where his life, apart from the father, led him. This is where it led him. When you live life on your own and life falls apart, you're on your own. Right? That's the challenge when you decide that you're going to be the sole authority in your life. Is that when you come to the end of yourself, you know, and this can happen financially, but it can also happen relationally can happen career-wise, when things that you set your heart on and you set your life on, when they fall apart, if you're relying on yourself, there's nothing left. Right? you got no strength. Now, how did he respond? Verse 17 says, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So he came to himself, and that led him to humility. Humility. And his humility led him to take responsibility. Right? And that's, that's the pathway that we want to follow. Because his humility, he humbled himself, he took ownership of his part in what he did. And those two things, humility and responsibility, those two things, when they're mixed together, birth a hope that you can go back home. That's what he does. And that's the, that's, that's the path for us, too. If you are in this place, um, you may be someone who's, I mean, you've been living apart from God. 
and you're ready to come back? Humility and responsibility. Humble yourself and take ownership of your part in the situation that you're in. If you do that, you can come back. You can come back. Now, the older brother's life fell apart when his younger brother returned. Right? And you got to understand that the older brother, he thinks that his whole life, when his, when his younger brother comes back and his father throws this big party and welcomes him back in, as far as the older brother's concerned, he feels like his whole life now has been for nothing. Okay? You got to understand that because after all of his work, Right? After all these years of slaving away, his evil brother walks back into the family and is received with open arms. You get it? The older brother has been feeling like, you know, well, I'm not happy here. I don't have a relationship with my father. I'm working my tail off here. I'm underappreciated, unloved. I, you know, I don't know. But at least I know that if I, put my due, if I put in my dues, everything else is mine. Right? The younger brother comes back, and all of a sudden the older brother feels like, man, what in the world have I been doing this for? Why did I stay here? I could have been gone too. Right? If he can come back and just be re- received right in, what about me? And his response is actually the opposite of the younger The younger brother responded when his life fell apart with humility and responsibility. The older brother responds with anger, self-righteousness, and judgmentalism. Right? Verse 28, he was angry. He refused to go in. He puts on airs. Verse 29, look, these many years I've, I've never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat. You never gave me anything. But when this son of yours came, right, how could you possibly fraternize with someone like that? How could you possibly treat him the way you're treating him? What this shows us is that both religion and morality They cannot deliver. Religion and morality, they cannot satisfy. They are empty. What they do is they breed slavery. Because you never feel like you've done enough. And then anytime anything goes wrong, you think you don't deserve it. And so if you respond this way, This is an indication that you've got some of the older brother in you. Some of the older brother in your heart. And if you're responding in anger and self-righteousness and judgment on others, (laughs) it means that you haven't hit the bottom yet. It means you're not ready to come back. the things in your life that frustrate you, that internal frustration, that that sense that you have that, you know what, life is not supposed to be this way, right? Those feelings, those are God knocking on the door 
Those are God inviting you back into a relationship with him. Asking you to let go of your older brotherishness and to return to the Father and have a relationship with him. Well, this knocking on the door is what we're going to see next with our third point. This is the Father. The Father's response to his two sons shows us exactly who he is. And this teaches us the message of Jesus. With both sons, we see the Father, we see the pursuit. The pursuit. Look at verse 20. He arose, the younger brother arose, came to his father. But while the younger, brother, well, the younger son was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. It's like in this one sentence, all the verbs get sort of piled up, right? Saw him, felt compassion, ran, embraced, and kissed. It's like the father's like jumping over himself to get back to his younger son. You look at verse 28, you see the same thing with the older brother. The older brother was angry, refused to go in, so his father came out and entreated him. This is God. Okay, this is God always coming to us. Always inviting us. Ready to receive us when we're ready to come back. Eager to encourage us when we're not ready to come back. Right? It's the pursuing Father that shows us who God is. And if you wonder about that, Jesus' whole life is the Father running down the road to embrace you. Jesus is God coming. Not just down the road, but across space and time. To you. To either rejoice that you have come back, or to entreat you to come back. So with both sons, we see the pursuit. We see affirmation. Look at how he speaks about, in verse 24, the younger brother. says, for this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The older brother, in verse 31, after he goes on his rant, the father just says to him, Son, you're not a slave. You haven't been certain. You're my son. And we see the loving affirmation of the father. This is God. This is God. He doesn't bring up the past. He focuses on where you are right now. And he tries to lay a pathway to come back to him. How will you respond? With both sons, we also see reconciliation. With the younger brother, right? The younger brother goes into his confession in verse 21, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But, it's almost like he cuts him off. The father said to his servants, quickly bring the best robe and put it on him. The best robe in that family would have been the father's 
own robe. Put it on him. And a ring. This meant the authority of the house. These were signet rings that you would seal documents with. And it said, this is my son, not a servant. Shoes. Because slaves go barefoot, not sons. And then the calf. Because we're going to celebrate. God receives us back. It's not probation. It's not incarceration. But celebration. And with the older brother, verse 31, we see the reconciliation of God offered. He said, son, you are always with me. And don't forget, all that is mine is yours. You feel like you've been trying to earn this? You've been trying to earn your inheritance? It's yours. It's yours because you're my son. You don't have to earn this. You don't have to worry. You don't have to slave for it. It belongs to you. This is God working as hard as he can to bring reconciliation. This is the God that we worship. And so you ask yourself, who's the prodigal in this story? Who's the one who's actually recklessly extravagant? It's God. It's the Father. It's the extravagant grace of the Father. Willing to receive the younger one back. Willing to go out and help the older come back. Extravagant grace. You know, if the message of Jesus doesn't make you think, whoa, this is amazing. Or, I can't believe that this love is that strong or that unending or that limitless. If it doesn't make you think that, then you don't know the message of Jesus. Who wouldn't want a God like this? He's standing here today inviting you either into a relationship with him for the first time or he's inviting you to go deeper with him. We'll talk a little bit more about that here in a minute. Um, Well, then we hit our fourth point is unfinished. Because what's odd about this story is that it doesn't seem to end. Right? What happens to the older brother? What does he do? Well, the reason it doesn't end is because Jesus is actually telling the story to the older brothers who are right in front of him. Okay? Verses 1 and 2. The tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Okay? The younger brother in the story was the tax collectors and the sinners. Right? The older brother in the story were the Pharisees and the scribes. These were the religious leaders. And so the story actually does have an ending in the life of Jesus. You want to know what the older brother does? He not only rejects the father, but in his rage and his self-righteousness, he kills the father. He kills the father. That's exactly what the religious leaders did to Jesus. Jesus is standing there reaching out to them, entreating them at this point, inviting them, saying, 
y'all are slaving. Stop. God wants a relationship with you. This is not about works. It's not about self-righteousness. It's not about you being better than anybody else. It's about God and Him wanting a relationship with the people that He created. And they listened to the message of Jesus and they said, we will not have this man to reign over us. And they handed him over to the Roman authorities and had him executed. In this, we see the cost of forgiveness. The cost of grace. Forgiveness and reconciliation, it's free to us, but forgiveness is always costly to the one who has to forgive. To the one who says, I'm not going to make you pay for what you've done. They have to absorb the cost of what you've done. And it cost God everything. Jesus was stripped on the cross so that you could receive the best robe, that robe of Jesus' perfect righteousness. Jesus on the cross was treated as though he were disowned so that you could come home and get the ring of God's adoption. God even used the evil of the religious leaders to open the way so that you could be forgiven and so that you could, verse 17, come to yourself and realize life with God is so much better than life apart from Him. So that you could say, I've learned that my home is right where you are, God. This is the extravagant and costly grace of God. It's extravagant to you. It cost him everything, but he was willing to do that so that you would come back and you would realize his love and you would live in his love. Will you trust Jesus with your life? Will you trust him? If you're not a Christian, I don't know what else God could do He's done everything he can to help you realize that you can trust him with everything. That life with him is better than life apart from him. And if you are a Christian, press in to your relationship with Jesus. That's what he's longing for. He wants to be with you. He wants to spend time with you. He wants you to spend time with him. Right? It's not about rules and religious stuff. It's about a relationship with the God who came to be with you, who welcomes you back. So this leads us to our last point, some thoughts on following Jesus. To follow Jesus simply means coming back to him, right? It's finding yourself in this story. Some of us tend to be more older brother-ish, right? Coming from a more works-based performance mentality, more self-righteous is the tendency that we have, more proud, more like we look like we are above other people. Jesus, following Jesus means realizing that, you know what, you're just as lost as those people you're looking down on. 
Others are more younger brotherish, right? You just want to cast off all authority, break rules for the sake of breaking rules. You don't want anybody telling you what to do or not do, right? Following Jesus means saying, you know what? I would rather have God and his loving authority in my life than to live my life apart from him. And so following Jesus means this is your story. Like this is, you want to rehearse this story. You want to remember and think about this story and your place in it. Because what it does is it highlights the extravagant grace of the good news of God. And as you think about that, as you dwell on that, as you realize how much God has been gracious and loving to you, that's what actually begins to change you from the inside out. Because as you come in contact with that love, you begin to experience it. You kind of begin to wonder, wow, like God loved me that much. Man. And you come into contact with that love, and that love begins to touch your heart. And God pours his love into you. And you begin to realize, you know, if God loved me this much when I was this bad, I really need to change how I treat other people. Um, And this is how you experience Jesus daily. It's by remembering that this is your story. That God is the Father here. That he loves and, and is gracious this much. When I think about this story, it makes me more patient with other people. It does. I think about this story and patience wells up in my heart because I remember how much God loved me. And I realize, man, I have the privilege of being able to show that patience to others. Man, I failed at this this week in some, in some specific ways that, that just made me ashamed. Like, man, I'm acting like an older brother here. Like, why are you doing this? Coming back to the Lord, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for acting like an older brother. You are entreating with me even now as I'm confessing this to you, Lord, and I thank you for your grace. This story makes it safe for me to be honest with God and with other people. Um, As you read the Bible, you want to see this story play out over and over and over again because you'll see it as you read. You'll see it in the different ways. And so you want to own this story as your own, and then as a church family, right? Following Jesus is a community event, right? We can't do this on our own. You know, you want to, and so you want to make sure that as you are appropriating this story and making it yours, that you're helping other people to do the same thing, right? So you're asking folks here in the church, in your community group or with your friends, make sure that they understand that this is the gospel. This is their story too, You know, are there ways that you can help other people see younger brother tendencies in their lives, older brother tendencies in their lives? And you can ask them, like, how does this fit in with the prodigal son story? Or the man with the two sons, hopefully, is what we all would call it now. Um, Do you know how that story applies to your situation? Or, you know, can I just remind you that you're loved by God? Right? If we can learn to... uh, to pursue and to affirm and to be reconciled with each other. Man, what kind of family would we be? Right? Think about the children of a family with this father. You know, what would life be like in that family? 
That's what's available to us as we follow Jesus together. This is why we want to be in community groups. This vision of, a, of returned sons and daughters helping each other to understand the love of the Father, right? And then sharing his love with each other. Let's pray together. Lord, we want this. We need this. I pray, Lord, that you would help wash us with your love and that you would help us experience it on a daily basis. Lord, it is good to spend time with you as we think about this story and so many others where your character, your love, and your grace is on display, your affirmation, the way you pursue us, the way you make it safe for us to confess our sins when we fall short. Lord, would you help us to understand this and experience it this week? And help us as a family to help each other so that we could be people who would have such an experience of your grace that we would share it with others, that we wouldn't vilify anyone, that we wouldn't look down on anyone, but that we would share your affirmation, your grace, your love. Lord, this is what we need. This is what our city needs. So we pray that you would help us as a church to be this way. By your grace. Amen.